Hey there Talking Chalk teachers. I hope you enjoyed this video, but you may be wondering who the other person is on the line talking to Beck. Well, my name's Liam Elysiums and I'm the co-founder and president of Pracky. But what is Pracky? Well, Pracky is an initiative that was created by beginning teachers for beginning teachers. We aim to support early career and pre-service teachers through best-in-class digital media and in-person symposium events. If you like what you see, why not head over to Pracky.com and see what we're all about. That way, I'll be able to get into contact with you about our latest blog articles, videos, podcasts, and let you know when we'll be in town for the next Pracky Symposium. I hope to see you over there, but until then, let's get on with the video. What's up, Prackies? It's Liam Elysiums here for another episode of Hashtag Ask Pracky Anything. And in this episode, we have a very special guest coming to us from all the, uh, from all the way from New South Wales. It's Beck West from Talking Chalk. Thank you so much for coming in and, and being a guest on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to help be part of this platform and get the word out to all teachers out there, whether it's New South Wales, Queensland or across Australia or across the world, whoever it helps is good. <laughs> oh, for sure. And something that we've noticed in particular is that there's been such a great connection online. Um, probably back in the day, you really had to rely on mentor teachers within your school, um, whereas now we can you know, connect like we're a living example of this, that we're connecting you know, Brisbane to, to Sydney um, and spreading the word. And there's so many other great teacher tutors out there online that um, I think it's, it's something that's really exciting to see. It's great because in Australia, there's literally a handful of them. A lot of us started watching the American channels and then realizing yeah. information was kind of okay, but not really relevant contextually to what we're doing. But the fact that there's more now coming out in Australia is really good to be able to see yeah. not just like-minded people, but like-minded people working with the same specific focus. Yeah, for sure. So you're one of the most notable teacher tubers in the community, I think, from based on my research. Um, getting a bit star, getting a bit starstruck, actually. So for someone um, that's maybe just getting into online communities for their own professional development and hasn't heard of you or your ethos, could you maybe just give a little bit of a synopsis or a bio to your experience in the teaching industry and what led you to create one of the most influential teacher tubers out there? I'm, I'm stealing that as a byline now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, feel free. Feel free. Feel free. <laughs> so uh, I'm Beck. I'm an assistant principal. I work in the public system uh, in a school in uh, southwest Sydney. So that's the main system I've been in. I did start off in a specialist environment and after only a few months I realised mainstream was the place for me and I moved over to mainstream. So my background, I have a, a degree in um, a Bachelor of Education, primary, that was my first degree and when I started teaching I continued on to get my Bachelor of Special Education then I continued on to get my Masters of Education. So I guess what I really wanted to do was go to mainstream because that's where I guess a lot of people said that, you know, they don't have the confidence or the skills or the expertise to kind of handle, for lack of a better word, all of those needs in the classroom. And I, I just love being in mainstream. So I've been teaching, this is my 17th year of teaching. Eight of those years have been as an assistant principal and I've had recent relieving principal experience as well, which I love. Um, I love being a leader, but I love being in the classroom with the kids most of all. My big passion sort of areas are future focused education inclusive education and more recently I've been getting into environmental education and how that can help our kids as well and I love the school that I'm in I've got a wonderful community it's kind of a medium-ish school it's just over 300 kids with a preschool we've got playgroups we've got um, 
uh, 20% Aboriginal background, uh, we have an extremely low socioeconomic status in our community. Mm. So lots of refugees, uh, immigrants, that sort of a thing. Um, but they're all a beautiful community and I love it yeah. there. I have worked in the country previously as well. So I've got metro country experience and I have worked in big schools as well too. So I feel like it's good to get that experience, all round mm. experience until you kind of find your forever school for lack of a better yeah, word. Yeah. <laughs> so what made you um, start on this kind of online media journey? So I started because I was looking at the concept of flipped learning uh, and I came across Eddie Wu's channel. Love Eddie Wu, Wu Shu. Yeah, um, yeah. And I've since met Eddie and we've worked on projects together and he is just as honest and endearing in person as he is in those videos and everything that he, he does. Um, and I thought, well, if he could do it, I could do something like that because there was always that sort of nervousness about putting yourself on camera or putting it out there for people to see. But what I wanted to do was uh, try this flipped learning process with my kids. So I started a different channel, which is called Clever Pickles. And it was to try and focus on that type of pedagogy with my kids in the classroom so that uh, I could enhance their learning at home, so I could build connectedness with parents. And it all just turned into pretty much maths games. So it's maths games that yeah. I share with the kids. And then I've since found out that the particular style that I did is actually called in-flipped learning. So the kids didn't watch it at home and then do the lesson. We watched it at school together and then they had it as a backup afterwards to keep watching if they wanted to. And then other teachers started using it um, in their classrooms all across the world. And then just some colleagues recommended to me you should have a channel just channel just for teachers kind of explaining the strategies that you use and then how about doing it for sort of everything and then talk and chalk started my hubby came up with the name <laughs> um so he gets props for that one and yeah since then i've had people sort of asking for particular uh, topics sending in suggestions and then the best part is obviously the comments and being able to engage with the community mm. uh, and then people in the comments would suggest how they do it as well in a different context which is really good which is then why I started doing occasionally when I have time the live streams as well just so we can all yeah. jump on answer questions get into that dialogue and um, build those connections with people so the channel's not monetized. I don't sell anything or spam anything or any like there's no ads on it it's just about sharing and building those connections um, because ultimately I don't, I don't really want to gain anything out of it other than working with people and enhancing our student outcomes. So I think the fact that I've done it that way as well has made it not more valid, but I guess has made people realise that there's no ulterior motive to me doing it. It's just to help others. So I think the connections is what I get out of it more than anything. I get to meet someone who will say, I tried this at my school and this is how it worked, but this is how I tweaked it. And then I say, I'm going to steal that idea. <laughs> and I'm going to go tweak it as well. <laughs> um, but that's, that's largely the benefit, I think, and just enhancing the confidence. So in terms of pre-service teachers, I've had a lot of people comment that some of that stuff was never covered at uni. Some of those bare basic things like some of the behavior management uh, videos that I've done, that's the kind of thing that uh, a pre-service teacher will say, they never covered that or we never went into that or no one mentioned that when I was at uni. So I guess that's the kind of gap I'm hoping to, to fill if people feel like there is that gap anyway. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned just previously um, your big passions within the teaching community, I think a big struggle for that from what we've seen for beginning teachers is actually finding that identity for themselves because I think it takes a good few years to realise who you actually are as a teacher. Sometimes one day you're Mr Mean and then the other time you're probably too Mr Nice and Bubbly and then the, the students just kind of think you're a weirdo just jumping from one 
extreme personality to the other. So what pedagogical things did you come across that kind of helped you cement your idea of who you are as a teacher? Well, see, the, the key thing with that is, is that it changes as you change as well. Mm-hmm. So if you had asked me that same question about my passions, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been very embedded in sports and creative arts and performing arts. So I was the teacher that was doing every, I was coaching sport every single term. I did dance group. I did choir. We were doing the performing arts festivals, that sort of a thing. Those were the things that were what was most valuable to me at that point in time. And those things are still highly valuable to me now but I'm not the teacher that needs to be running around doing rehearsals, doing costumes, doing all that sort of a thing. I'm kind of supporting those other teachers who have that as their forefront at the moment, trying to help our students gain skills and confidence in those areas. So I think um, making sure you're not having got that fixed mindset about, well, I'm the dance teacher and I'm always going to be the dance teacher or I'm going to be the quirky art teacher or that kind of a thing, because you'll change as you develop as well um, throughout your career and you need to be prepared to go, do you know what? I don't want to do sport this year. It's not my thing this year. I've had enough of it. I want to branch out and and try something new, whether that's mentoring someone else or literally going into technology or doing something else. I think as a practitioner, we need to be open to making those changes within ourselves as well. So uh, I guess in terms of knowing who you are as a teacher or finding your niche, um, performing arts and sport was something that I did growing up. So I guess that's Mm -hmm. how I connected to it. So if you connect to something personally, straight off the bat and it doesn't have to be something that's part of mainstream education if your thing is like i don't know knitting bring it into the school bring your heart into the school your openness and people will tack on to that and it's a good way to connect with your students connect with your parents because there will always be someone else out there that wants to do something like that um you know if you're someone who's a, a climate activist at the moment and that's a hot topic at the moment you know bring that into your school that that doesn't necessarily have to be something that's just embedded in your classroom that could be a way to set yourself out from the crowd and you don't have to be afraid of setting yourself out from the crowd whether you're a casual teacher temp teacher full-time teacher you still need to own what you're doing as long as you're creating you know great student outcomes if you're impacting the school and the school community positively you should be able to stand up and say, I think this is really good for our kids and I know a way to do that. Um, the best way to do that is obviously not demand a bunch of money and time off class <laughs> um, <laughs> to, be able to, to be able to work with the school to do those kinds yeah, of things. Yeah. But I think it's important that you know who you are in that classroom context as well. So like you said before, you know, are you the mean teacher or the kind teacher or things like that? Be mindful of your actions and what you're doing, but still kind of try and be naturally you. Because mm. if you're trying to be someone that you're not, the kids will read that. The kids yeah. will easily read that you're being fake and you don't follow through with your actions or anything like that. So there's no point trying to be the stern, strict teacher. If you are the goofy, happy, freeloading person <laughs> that wants to, you know, colour in with the kids in the afternoon. So you just need to find that balance, I guess, that makes sure that it's not, um, you know, obviously breaching any kind of policy or procedure, that you're actually doing your job properly but doing it in a way that you know facilitates great learning in the classroom. So you mentioned just before about not being afraid to bring your interests outside of the classroom back inside the classroom and to really truly be yourself. Um, I've noticed uh, recently that you're not afraid to talk about uh, hot debates within the education industry. So one of your last videos, for example, was about um, kids being allowed to be naughty or that ki- it's not bad if kids are naughty. Um, and then you also had a, a a, a post about the the climate change um, debate and how students are kind of related to that. So you're not afraid to talk about these hot topics. Do you think that there needs to be more debate in the education and the teaching industry about these types of things? 
I think it depends on the way in which it happens. So, you know, we've got TV shows like Q&A where we've got a moderator, we've got a panel, there's an audience that's kind of fielded and monitored in a way. The problem with doing things online is that there's no moderator. And so the climate change post that I put up, um, I don't know if you saw, I put a second post up to follow it, mm. but I, I received a lot of horrible backlash <laughs> against that one. And the whole point of the post was to generate dialogue. I wanted to hear thoughts from people. And I guess I wanted more specifically to hear from secondary teachers because they've got these high school kids that are going to the protests and they've got these high school kids that are actually participating in these science subjects. So me putting my opinion out there, I tried to make it as neutral as possible, but then I had people private messaging me with horrible messages. I had you know people name calling me and bashing me. There were other people that were genuinely part of the conversation and giving their ideas, which was really, really good. Um, but if we open ourselves up to these conversations in, in that social platform, it can get quite dangerous. I think I've learned now over the couple of years to try and let it just be water off a duck's back, but uh, some of them were quite horrible. But it meant that I had the opportunity to engage in dialogue with those other people and actually reflect on it. So, you know, originally I was saying they shouldn't be going unless they're actually being active, you know, in their home life and everything. And then after those conversations, I realized, well, maybe this is the catalyst to change. Maybe this first time going to the climate change protest, you know, would actually be the start of something. So, you know, I kind of changed my mind about that, but it was a shame that a lot of those horrible comments and attempts at whatever it was they thought was dialogue came from fellow teachers like teachers of all people these are our colleagues that were talking like that and that makes me fearful that those conversations can't be had it needs to be done in a way i suppose i don't want to say we have to be monitored we don't need big brother looking at us or big daddy looking down on us to figure that out i think we do need to have those conversations though because that's really the only way to move forward in a lot of mm. those things moving forward from a lot of those opinions that are sort of backward minded um, you know, we've got flat earthers coming out. We've got kids coming to school that believe in, in that the earth is flat just because of what they see online. And if we're too afraid to have those conversations as colleagues, how do we have those conversations with our kids? I think that was the catalyst for the Pracky Symposium idea. For beginning teachers especially, I feel that sometimes their whole world can be their university. They just are so focused on getting their assignments done and getting their prac done that they can almost be in the uni bubble so to speak, that they can they come out with maybe just cemented ideas that this is the one point of view about how to do this in the classroom or broader scale issues like you were talking about that can affect children and schools in general. So with Pracky, our symposiums kind of, the, the, the point of them a lot of the time is to put in um, hot debates or topical ideas to the panel and have a deliberate um, different panel with varying viewpoints and just see the different perspectives that come up on the same issues because I think that's really important for beginning teachers to see that there is sometimes not necessarily a correct answer so for our last symposium we probably the thing that caught the most traction and was the most controversial if you want to call it that was the use of smartphones and smart technology in the classroom um, Likewise, we had people saying that entertaining mobile phones in the classroom, if, if you're uploading this video, you're part of the problem, was a comment that we, that we received. Um, and whereas other people say that they integrate smart technology into assessment deliberately to kind of get rid of that us versus them mentality around technology in the classroom. And I think 
prakis, what we try and do is not to say that there is a correct opinion, but just to show that there are so many drastically different opinions on the same topics within education and teaching. And sometimes beginning teachers don't see that or don't acknowledge that fact. I think the harder part too is um, contextually those students going on pracs Mm. They can't burst that bubble because your pracs are, are very much selected necessarily by the uni or by location. So mm. you're not really branching out seeing anything different. Like it would be so much more different if they all sent you out to Broken Hill, <laughs> you know, for a whole prac to see what it was like out there in those, you know, drought stricken communities. And um, it would be interesting to see, uh, you know, that whole climate change debate go out and see what a community oh, is yeah. like when it's only fueled by the coal mines. And that's the work that they yeah. need to keep that community going. So. I guess the way around, um, like with your symposium, would be good if, if you were able to sort of branch out to those other communities and um, and get those perspectives too because, yeah, otherwise you're not going to burst that uni bubble like you said. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we to kind of combat that, we really go for different sectors and that's probably been the biggest point of difference. It hasn't been nationality or gender. It's been whether someone's private, independent or public. Um, and those perspectives that they're coming from. or um, So for example, we had a pretty staunch debate about the use of assessment. And we had someone from a private school saying that high stakes testing and data and things of that nature can really help a school determine where their kids are at, which can better help their learning going forward. That basically you can't teach unless you know what the students know. Whereas um, someone that had just opened up, uh, education entrepreneur that's opened up kind of an alternative progressive school or a flexi school, um, whatever you want to call it, was basically saying that high stakes testing and NAPLAN and things of that nature is just basically just serves adults' needs and that it's the student's care is never taken into account and that it's basically just to, for schools to promote themselves that, that you know, they can rack up the numbers um, so it was interesting really to see those, it was literally a black and white debate in front of our eyes. Yeah, it was very interesting. So we talked about beginning teachers and what they need to know and the things that they need to be aware of when they go out into a school. Um, what's been your relationship with supporting beginning teachers in your um, profession? So I've had, I've had many uh, pre-service teachers over the years um, and luckily I've had all amazing ones. I haven't mm. had to go through that process of recommending a failure or support or anything like that for any of them. Uh, I have been in schools though where that has happened to someone else uh, mm. and going through that process and I, it's frustrating to hear stories about uh, pre-service teachers get to their final prac and come in and just bomb out in the classroom pretty much and we're at that point where we think how did they get here how did they get to fourth year and nothing's been done so I think one of the frustrating parts is I don't, I don't know if it's low expectations on the uni I don't know if they're trying to pass people through to make their their scores look good I don't know if they just want to if it's a money racking system or not um, but there's that consistent thing that we're seeing when when students come out in that first year and they're struggling and they're I like we, I had one that literally came to me and say I have no idea how to assess I don't know how to assess I didn't learn it um, and a lot of that comes down to I think I don't know how, if it if it's the same in Queensland but we have a lot of unis that will run those um, Bachelor of Arts Master of Teaching degrees so you've got three years of doing nothing teaching related and then one year where they're just packing it all in and getting those pracs in 
um, which I don't think is enough. So I think a lot of it is that underpreparedness. Um, there's a lot of uh, unis that don't have a focus on learning about additional needs or behaviour management, and they're the core things you have to have in the classroom. The most frustrating thing we ever hear come out of universities is people saying that you don't need behaviour management as long as your lessons are engaging. <laughs> Which any yeah. free service teacher listening, that's crap. It's serious crap. Don't <laughs> listen to that. <laughs> I don't care how engaging it is because the hardest, hardest thing that any any teacher, pre-service, mature age, young, doesn't matter, the hardest thing that they're going to have to deal with is the reality of what our kids deal with, the reality that our kids live in today. So being in my context, it's a lovely community, but it's also a community that has drug issues, that has domestic violence issues. There are parents in prison, there are separations, there's lots of things going on there that's that's not great for a child's welfare mentally physically all those sorts of things and regardless of how much theory you study how much you could quote Vygotsky or any of that kind of stuff nothing's going to prepare you for that day when the kid comes in and says you know dad stabbed mum last night they're in the hospital I think dad's at the jail and auntie dropped me off at school yeah. how do you deal with that <laughs> you know that's that's not something that can necessarily be trained and it, it really will differ depending on the person, how they will handle that. Will they focus on the well-being of the child, the physical needs of the child, getting on with the lesson, the fact that I've got my supervisor coming in to watch me teach today, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. all those sorts of things that we think are high-level things and they're really not um, when you get to the reality. And that's not in all schools, obviously, you know, different schools, different contexts. But I, I feel like, yeah, for those pre-service teachers, there's really a lack of real preparedness. I think a lot of that comes down to prac, though. There was so much more prac when I went to university compared to what I hear they're doing now. I think it depends from uni to uni. Um, but I know that, yeah, like I said, those teachers that are doing the Bachelor of Arts Master of Teaching, they only have two pracs and it's in their final year. So yeah. I hate hearing those teachers go, well, I spent all this money and three years studying. I've only got one more year left to go. I might as well finish it. <laughs> no, if you don't like it, you don't like it. Don't, don't become a teacher just because you did three years of study, and which is a hard decision to make, a big lifetime decision to make as well. But all those factors... I think are causing some of the systemic issues that are coming into education today, like, you know, teacher burnout and things like that. Yeah, we talk a lot about the teacher drought and it's it's something that I think concerns a lot of beginning teachers. And like you said, teaching can be challenging, especially if you're in a school like that. I've, I've had experience in a school of a similar nature. Um, and on my first day, a kid threatened my life, you know, and, and yeah, so I, I know. <laughs> So I mustn't have been doing a very good job, I think. Um, but for, for those students, like you said, um, they're in and out of um, juvie. Um, and like you said, they, they, they might have drugs or violence backgrounds, but it can be also very rewarding to be in an industry uh, and to actually support kids like that, that really need a positive role model. So for a beginning teacher that's maybe going into a school like that or um, is getting more experience out in an actual school instead of the uni classroom and, and maybe is feeling slightly underprepared. What things could they do to really put their best foot forward and that would impress you as a, as a mentor teacher? Um, do you mean like as a, someone who's got that full-time role, they've got their own class, they're in there? Yeah, they're just kind of entering the profession and maybe 
it sometimes feels like you're just being pushed into the deep end and that no no amount of prac could ever prepare you for some of the things uh, to take that big next step. It's like learning to drive theoretically versus actually driving on your driving test. There's a big gap. So what could they do to ease that process? So um, the the things that have worked for people that have come into my schools that have been first year out and they feel like, yeah, they're about to sink or swim, um, is getting a, a mentor teacher that's not an executive, someone who's just a really good teacher that's been teaching for, you know, at least five or more years, um, who you can just sort of tack on to and have those those touch bases. So, you know, if they're your neighbour teacher, that's great. You can touch base each day and talk and vent and laugh and whatever. If it's someone who's on a completely different stage, that's fine. Like setting aside those times to meet and just chat and go over things. Um, getting them to come into your classroom. Don't be afraid to invite people into your classroom. Studies show it's actually better. We become better teachers if we watch each other and feedback um, and doing it in that formal process, not that random like, yeah, it went well. No, very specifically, I want you to look at my behavior management today for this particular kid. I want you to watch that kid and watch me and tell me everything I do and everything they do and give me feedback, things that worked and things that don't work. Because even teachers now that, uh, I've got a woman who's been teaching for nearly 30 years. Um, I went in and did an observation on two specific kids and she was just like, yeah, didn't notice that, didn't notice that, but oh yeah, I picked up on that one and that one and I could give her that feedback, just that refining process. It's always so much better to have a second set of eyes in your room who might pick up something that you're missing because, not because you're a bad teacher, but just because our focus is all over the place in the classroom sometimes. So yeah, building that rapport with someone um, and it's important to be able to have that person you can, you're allowed to vent to. It's safe to vent to and say, Johnny was a today and I couldn't do with him and I wanted to throw him out the window. Have that yeah. safe space where you can talk to that person and do that. And I recommend saying not an executive because I feel like you would hold back if it was your supervisor, if it was a formal person in that role. Even if you've got a really good relationship with them, I think you would still hold back a little bit. Like having just that full, honest relationship with someone who can support you, who's not afraid to say, here's some resources that I use, just do it and copy it, you know, go for gold. Yeah, don't be afraid to do that as well. Like in your first year, don't feel like you have to create that Pinterest beautiful room with all these new resources that are all yours. Steal, grab, beg, borrow, use, you know, twist and change and do all those things because ultimately it doesn't matter as long as the kids are doing well. You have got the rest of your career to refine how you do those things. No one's going to be impressed that you're doing it your first year out. I'm not going to care. Um, I'm not going to go, oh, this person who's been teaching for 10 years is getting the same results as this person who's been teaching for one year. I don't care that you're the first year. It's not more important because I don't see you necessarily growing at that point. I need to see your development, you reflecting, you being that lifelong learner and changing as well and being able to say, okay, I didn't do something well. I'm going to change that. You know, that's the kind of practice that we want to have in our teachers because not every day is going to be great. You will have that pristine, perfect lesson, classroom set up, ready to go, and something will make it go to the wayside. There's always those days when you do that, just being able to pick it up and go, all right, moving on. Sometimes I've had to just stop those lessons cold because it's just not working for whatever reason. It's not working, move on. So I think when you get into the school, if you can form the relationship with your colleague like that, that's your best starting point than anything else um, that I think you could do because they're your backup. So, you know, and they'll allow you to come into their classroom and observe them as well. Um, and I just guess being prepared for the fact that it's hard. 
you know, we don't say it's hard just because we want more money. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's hard for a reason and it should be hard. We're molding the minds of the future. This should not be an easy job. You know, this is not like being an Uber driver where we're just going to clean up vomit in the back seat one night for a horrible <laughs> night. You know, this this should be a hard job. This this is time consuming and it's mentally and physically exhausting because we're doing great things. That's why it's hard. Yeah. And the thing is, is it does get easier. Once you refine your processes and you become more confident and you know where everything is in the school and you know which parents you can touch base with for support, those things get easier. So you should be prepared for that first year to feel hard. You're mm. going to cry. It's fine. Go to your store and cry. Go home and cry in your car. Either way, it's going to happen. I've still done it even after 17 years of teaching, still have those <laughs> moments. But it's, you know, because we're doing something great. I think that's a really great advice there. And there is a lot of stories about the stress. Um, and like you said, you mentioned the teacher burnout. But to put it into perspective that those things are happening because it's such a, a great profession that has such a big impact. I mean, I would hope that you would be um, feeling those things. A, a question was basically saying that came up for us was that um, I'm always stressed. I'm always in my first few years of teaching. Um, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm up to all hours of the night, lesson planning and things of that nature. And my response was basically saying that I would rather you feel stressed than not to feel stressed. I mean, you can not feel stressed in a good way, but sometimes, like for example, when I was at school, I remember um, <laughs> I was really not into maths. I didn't like maths at all. We had a big maths test and I deliberately missed my bus and rocked up three quarters of the way through the big maths test, like end of year maths test. And my teacher, I walked in late and my teacher just had his arms and it was just gobsmacked that I'll dare be late for the big test. But some people would have been up all night studying for that, yet I just didn't care at all. I mean, I walked in there like Conor McGregor almost just because <laughs> I just didn't care at all about this maths test because I was probably disenchanted with that class. So my advice to this beginning teacher was that, you know, sometimes if you don't care, that's almost your brain saying that you don't care, um, that, that it's not meaningful for you. So to be stressed or to be anxious sometimes um, is a good thing occasionally. That's gonna, the thing that's gonna be pushing you to make that one more resource. It's gonna be pushing you to plan that one more lesson, make sure it goes really well um, without that. Yeah. There's good stress and bad stress, you know? If it's, exactly. if, it's, if it's causing you harm, you know, obviously that's a bad thing, but if it's just about, yeah, wanting to be really attentive to your job and care for those kids, that's a different different kind of stress to me anyway. Yeah, for sure. Um, I saw this post on Instagram recently, um, and because you're so involved with the online teacher community, I thought I'd get your perspective on it. The online teacher community is getting bigger and bigger, and like you were saying just before that, beginning teachers are really concerned about um, their Instagram page and their Facebook page and the rise of teacher tubers is getting more and more. Yeah, a post that I saw was that someone said that they were incredibly stressed because they felt that their classroom wasn't Insta-worthy. That, was that was their big stress um, of, the, of the week. And my response was that, of course, you want your classroom to be warm and inviting, especially if you're primary or early childhood. Yet, yeah, I'd probably be more concerned about the functionality of your classroom and whether it's working for you. Do you think that the rise of T 
teachers on social media can be a bad thing? So the thing is a lot of those um, people that you follow on Instagram um, are not necessarily teachers in classrooms. A lot of them Mm. are educators selling things, which is why they make it pristine, perfect, rainbow, thematic, whatever it is. Um, And those things are beautiful and they've put time and effort into it. Obviously, they're resources that should be paid for. Um, But is that really what the classrooms look like? And like you said, it comes down to that functionality. So this conversation actually came up recently um, comparing sort of two different classrooms at my school where, you know, one was sort of the the Pinterest beautiful classroom, everything labelled beautifully. Um, It's one of the few classrooms I can go into that doesn't actually smell like kids on a 40-degree day because, you know, it's all wonderful. Then I've got another classroom that you go into that it's all children's work up on the walls. So, you know, it looks messy, um, like not messy, like messy as in handwriting is not as neat as U6 handwriting, that kind of a thing. Walls has still got everything in there. However, both those teachers have got exceptional results in their classrooms. The kids Mm -hmm. love being in there and they are phenomenal teachers. It's about how you use those things. So obviously, you know, that teacher is still using all of those resources in a way that supports student learning. It's not just there to be pretty, it's there for student use. And the other classroom might not look as pretty or or be from the internet, but it's for good student use. So, um, you know, the classroom that you go into and has bare walls makes you wonder what's actually going on in this classroom. I've got no idea what the kids are learning, what they're doing. But if I go into a classroom that's Pinterest ready as well and looks beautiful, but the kids have no idea what's on the walls, means they're not using it. So it's about Mm -hmm. that functionality that happens in the classroom. My personal recommendation for teachers is you don't need a Pinterest or Instagram uh, classroom. You need a Pinterest or Instagram storeroom though. Have your storeroom schmick and organized and looking beautiful so you know where everything is and you don't turn into a hoarder. (laughs) Have that looking Instagram ready because that will help you in terms of your classroom management, your time management, your organization, that sort of a thing. But in terms of your classroom, it really needs to be a balance. I think there needs to be a balance of having those nice printable things up on the wall and then something from the students that's contributing that. I should see student handwriting. I should should see student creations, um, you know, all of those artworks that we look at. I don't want to see copied images of the same things on there. We should see each kid's personality coming through in the work that's displayed in the classroom. The one thing I do absolutely uh, think is a must is just be prepared that on any given day your supervisor your principal or the director could walk into your classroom for a pop-in visit director could come in at any time and what is it that you want to be on on show you know what is it that you want them to see and directors and principals don't want to see absolutely still silent students with a rainbow classroom they just want to see learning they want to that doesn't matter if it's noisy or messy they want to see learning that's going on. So, you know, when teachers are thinking of those classrooms like that, it's one thing to spend all of your holidays having everything ready to go, but is that really about the kids or is that about you? Because if yeah. you want an Instagram-ready classroom, that's about you. That's not about the yeah. kids. Yeah, exactly. I think that functionality is so important. So as we wrap up uh, the interview, our audience are beginning teachers that may be feeling like they need a little bit of a additional support or that really are looking for that practical real world advice. Um, sometimes professional development and academia can real deal with those real big issues, those big macro issues within education, whereas sometimes 
I know when I was at uni, I just wanted to understand why my lessons kept going 15 minutes short, even though I had a million resources. So sometimes it's those little nitty gritty things that um, we need most. So this video is gonna to be to the Pracky audience and they're beginning teachers that need a little bit more support, maybe with practical real world advice. If you could have an open conversation with beginning teachers, what would be your imparting advice or something that you're particularly passionate about for them to know? Biggest thing I want uh, them to focus on or take away is point of need for our kids because they all have different ones. So, and the, the ones that could get really overlooked the most are our high potential kids. Those kids that will sit, they'll do their work, they'll get it done, they'll be nice and polite and follow all the rules and sit down and they're the beautiful ones. They're, they will very easily fall under the radar because we're worried about those kids that are just falling behind or the kids that are really falling behind or the behaviour needs, things like that. You've got to consider all of those points of need. So if you've got kids that are you know kind of on track and doing the right thing, they still need to be moving forward um, and they could have the potential to move forward faster. Uh, those kids that are significantly behind, uh, sometimes they can be a write-off because they're the too hard basket and um, okay, as long as they're sitting and listening and participating, that's good enough. They still need to have progression too. It might not look like the same progression as those high potential kids, but they need to have progression. So mapping that out is really important and it's good to be able to utilize all the resources available, like, like our curriculum, um, I, I don't know if you guys in Queensland are using the learning progressions yet, but we had like the literacy and numeracy continuum. There's all sorts of continuums and things like that that we can use to help monitor and track that um, and making sure that you're doing that for all of your kids because that, that's my focus for inclusive education. Sometimes that a lot of people think that that's all about like our red kids, our low kids, inclusive yeah. education. It's not. It's talking about all of our kids, our kids that don't have access to technology at home. I want to include them in those sorts of things, our adult learners. Um, you know, refugees, all, all of that inclusion um, covers that huge spectrum of kids, including the kids that are doing fine and working independently. They need to be enhanced as well. So I think, yeah, for those people, for those prakis coming through, if there's any one big thing I guess I want you to take away is always look at every kid's point of need because it may not be an academic need either. If you've got that kid that, you know, is really good at sports and they could be the next Olympian find ways to enhance that learning as well. You could have some kid that plays the piano beautifully. How can you enhance that learning and understanding in the classroom as well? Because, you know, music is part of our curriculum too. So not just literacy and numeracy, any point of need that that kid has. And a lot of that um, is really showcased in... Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So now that you've imparted your expert advice and uh, you've piqued our audience's interest, if they want to keep in touch with what you're up to, where's the best place to find you? Uh, so, well, YouTube's the biggest place 
Talk and Chalk, um, very close to 10,000 subscribers now, which is really cool. Um, I've also got the Facebook page, Talk and Chalk, which is where I share the videos, but I also share random teaching memes and funny stuff and resources and things like that that I find that are good. Um, I've got Instagram as well, which is generally where I share the pretty stuff. Um, but if you want to engage on, on that more sort of academic level uh, Twitter, uh, I'm BeckWest81 on Twitter, and, and that is the place easily where I'll, I will engage with our, our educational leaders. So, um, you know, our big boss is on, on the, the Twitter feed. They engage. My director is on there, or lots of directors, that kind of a thing. It's really a great place to find out what's going on in other schools and what they're doing, links to articles and things like that. So um, Twitter is a good one if you want to engage in conversation. But any of those forums has private messaging. If anyone ever wanted to message me privately, I get lots of wonderful messages apart from those horrible ones. I get lots of wonderful ones with great feedback, which is lovely to hear. Um, and I always reply to everyone as soon as I get the chance. So <laughs> you learned. It took, it took me a while to get back to you back and forth. But I, I always try and reply when I can. Um, and I'm always happy to engage in that conversation because I know sometimes I've had messages from people that say, I don't want to put this on a public forum because they're worried someone will see it or it'll be taken the wrong way. I will always give an open, honest, non-judgmental answer. So if someone out there is yeah, really unsure about something or they're on a prac and they're struggling on their prac because their mentor teacher won't let them try what they want to try, send me a message. I'll try and give you whatever. All right, well, thank you so much for streaming in live into Brisbane and reserving some of your time today to come talk to us, Beck. Thank you so much. Oh, very welcome. I appreciate being able to have this conversation with you and share whatever I can share. If I'm ever in Brisbane, I'll let you know because I'd love to come to one of oh, those symposiums. Sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'll get you on the panel. Sounds like, <laughs> sound, yeah, I think that sounds like a plan. Excellent. That'd be great. Okay, great. That's all we have time for this episode of Ask Pracky Anything. Remember that you can send your own question by leaving a comment down below or hitting up Pracky on any of our social medias for your chance for us to answer your question live in next week's video. But until then, we'll see you next time.